Thank you, sir. I'm going to trust that you're uh, able to multitask, fill the offering plate while I talk. Oh, that was that was enthusiastic. Uh, like, really? <laughs> okay. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Are you well today? Mostly. Can't believe how things kind of come together this morning. A whole bunch of things going through my head. Well, one is that. Um, I heard uh, Pastor Derek uh, did a great job last week, and so did the worship team. And I'm starting to get a complex that it's only when I'm here that things don't go as well. It's when I'm away, things go better. So, uh, now I'm teasing. But Derek said something along the line that, oh, the boss is away, we can get away with stuff, or something like that. (laughs) So our meeting this week will be, you know, his final day to work, and (laughs) things like that. (laughs) Great job. I listened to it. It was good. And I heard your worship was great. And uh, today, too, also enjoyed uh, very, very much. Um, Thought a couple of things going through my mind as we were singing. And uh, some of the songs, one of the ones, uh, Open Up the Doors, A Day of Jubilee is Coming. It triggered some thoughts. Actually, uh, one of my problems, and I will try to bring it under control is that I do have an ADD personality, so this triggers something, that triggers something, and this triggers something. I see people going like this, because you have the same problem. Is that what you're telling me? You don't have the same problem, but you, you recognize my problem. That's what you're telling me. But one was, um, years ago I got to hear the Canadian Revival Fellowship up in, in uh, I can't remember where we were, but their mentor, his name was Dick Sipley. I don't know if he's with the Lord yet, but he was a very deep, godly brother who would speak life. Every time we'd have a conference, he would just bring a word that uh, laid us out. And one time he shared with us how he saw, because people love to think about the end times, right? Some of you do? Well, some of you do. So for those of you who do, uh, he would say, would you like to know what my view is of the way it's going to happen? He gave a bunch of uh, scenarios, about seven bullets. I'm not prepared to unpack it today because I didn't bring any of that. But I remember two things, and I think this is accurate, that when we're moving toward the end, and I don't know about you, I have never been much into trying to think how close it might be when I was a kid a brand new Christian back in the 70s, we were having prophecy conferences all the time. Anybody remember those? And, uh, oh, and we were just about ready to sell everything we had. You know what I mean. And boy, would that have been a mistake. Not because Jesus isn't coming. And because eternal things aren't of value, absolutely they are, and physical things will perish but because the timing was not quite yet it. But the more I observe our world today, the more I wonder how close it is coming. Because there are some things that are rather exceptional in our present state of affairs. I'm actually going to address some of that. But um, that line, a day of jubilee is coming. His view, and I think he's right, is that things, and the scripture's clear, things will go from bad to worse. Everybody knows that part. Jesus made that pretty clear. Things will deteriorate and get very bad, and uh, persecution will probably break out in new ways like it was early on in the days of the Roman Empire. But at the same time, a great worldwide revival will be in the works. 
And the scripture reveals that, you know, we know this from history, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Uh, it's not an exciting thing to talk about or particularly uplifting, you know, uh, but it's true. And so there are places where the church flourishes and prospers in spite of the fact or actually partly because of the pressure that comes against it. It kind of snaps God's people out of their coma, if you will, and they go, wait a minute. There is something worth dying for. And um, I'm probably going to share this later. We have a team meeting for Kenya after service today, right? So we'll slip off and get some time to pray. But one of the things that triggered that for me was I've been thinking about this trip we're going to be taking in June to Kenya, looking forward to it. And um, it was like in this last couple of weeks, there was that bombing, right, in Nairobi, or, well, my bombing or shooting, I can't even remember. There's so much of it. It was both, I think. And it was like, oh! And, uh, you know, my kids were right. Hey, are you keeping tabs on what's going on in Kenya? And you know what? My reaction to the whole thing was, bring it. I'm not kidding. I don't mean, I don't mean bring it like I want anybody to get hurt. What I mean is, sometimes the enemy overplays his hand and just says... You know, oh, you don't want to do this. Oh, yeah, we do. Oh, yeah, we do. And we'll cast ourselves on the sovereign goodness of God. And I'm a big believer in angelic protection. And by the way, that's what we're going to pray a lot about this afternoon. So, after all your big talk, you better pray a lot. Okay. (laughs) Amen. So that was one thing. And then some of the the things we just heard this morning in in music... um, the church's one foundation, mid toil and tribulation, tumult of her wars, there are, what was the word, false sons in her pale. Wow, that's very relevant to something I'm going to say today. And so is what Miss um, McGrail had to say when she said with her team, with her team, they would sit and talk and say, oh, you did that really well. Derek, you did really well last week. And the, and the thing that you said about everybody getting out of control, that was really bad. <laughs> but can, he knows I'm joking with him because I agree with him. Did you hear what I said, though? Yeah, this is good. This is not good. The ministry of admonition. There's a little tape we're trying to pass around with our leadership because churches fail because we fail to admonish one another, both encourage what's right and not challenge what's wrong. Does that make sense? Okay, so all of that was free. That was extra. No charge. Those of you who are visiting, I don't charge you to preach. Until come in. That was just a joke. And uh, I have a very odd sense of humor, and my people have gotten used to me, so they tolerate me. I hope uh, you can as well. This morning's sermon, uh, you've seen it in the bulletin now for two weeks. Heretics, sinners and subversives, oh my. What does that remind you of? Go ahead, put the next one up. Those guys, remember? Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. You guys don't get out much, do you? You don't even know that's the Wizard of Oz? Okay. And uh, three scary things, lions and tigers and bears, oh my. And when we read this, we should be thinking the same thing. Heretics, sinners, and subversives, oh my. Right? Sounds kind of scary. In fact, 
we can get rid of Toto, that's good. Uh, it sounds kind of judgmental, doesn't it? There was a great old joke, and I, I, I don't even know where to find. It's probably buried. Anybody have computers with files buried infinitely down somewhere? You can't find it. You know what I'm talking about. And uh, there was a story of a guy, he's hanging off a bridge. He, he uh, had an accident or some crash and was thrown off, and he's hanging on for dear life, and it's a, it's a doom drop if he goes. And a, another man was walking along and came over and started talking to him and found out before he tried to help. He said, now, haven't I seen you at church? And he said, yeah, and we started talking about what church they were from. And then they started talking about their doctrinal positions. And, yeah, now I'm a Baptist. Well, me too. Are you a triple baptism Baptist? Yes, me too. And, they, and what about your position on Calvinism? Yeah, me too. And what about your position about tongues? Yeah, me too. And then they got down to one little thing, like, how do you think communion should be served? And the guy said, I'm this way. And he goes, you heretic, and pushed him off the bridge. Sounds like some churches you may have run into. I don't know. We have a huge problem in the church and in our culture because we don't know what it means to prioritize or understand the J word. Do you know what I'm talking about? Judging. Right? As soon as you use the word judging, it triggers all kinds of reactions. Oh. Don't judge me, Earl. You know, you don't remember that? (laughs) Don't judge me. Or what about judging? Understanding what does it mean? There's a difference between judging and being judgmental. And that is the question. How do we navigate that? And that's why I put this up here today. Heretics, sinners, and subversives. Oh, my. Teddy, is Teddy here today? Oh, he is here. You're not allowed to interrupt right now, okay? Teddy wants to know our running commentary news feed. Teddy wants to know. This came, this is actually months back you asked about this, right? Can you please explain the difference between complacency and condemning? Uh, He mentioned where he's seen some of this, probably. I mean, anyway. Do I ignore things? that we think are or of are wrong, or do we combat it, or what do we do, right? And it's not totally clear which context you're asking about, but it is a great question because it has application all over the place, right? So what I want to do today is something I have very, very rarely done at Harmony. Those of you who know me, there are two things I don't like to harp on because I don't think it's good for our appetite. One is politics. I stay away from it. The other one is asking for money. I stay away from that, too, except when I have to. Like today. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) So I don't know if you're aware of this or not, and um, maybe you've noticed that our public officials, and by the way, you need to understand, here's where we get in trouble when we start being judgmental, right? There are public officials that I think are really trying to do the best they can to serve us. And then there are those that it becomes somewhat obvious that they don't necessarily have our best interests at heart. Have you ever noticed that? Some of the decisions that are being made in New York right now. This is not about politics, trust me. What I want to park on is clear biblical moral truth. 
but I'm simply going to use some data that's out there right now. I have an opinion, having been one who got rescued out of the hippie generation, used to use marijuana on a regular basis. You know what I want to say about this. How do we come from, this is a gateway drug and dangerous, which by the way, for those of you who think, nah, it's not such a big deal, and some of you in the room think that, it's not only a gateway, it is also an open door to demonic influence. And if you don't believe that, well, that's because the scripture isn't real for you. But I'm just telling you from personal experience, there's a connection. Even in the Greek language, there's a connection in the scripture. Well, we go from that to now, the God of mammon wins. It's money. And so we have changed our position. How can what is right and wrong change so radically that we get over to this place. And of course, our highways will be safer. We just had a safety class, right? I couldn't help. I was thinking about it the whole time. Our highways will be safer when we legalize. So obviously there are times our best interests aren't being put first. But that's secondary. What you want to do if you want to petition or be respectful and do it the way the scripture says. I wish every Christian was respectful and did it the way the scripture says, but they don't. But I want you to. If you want to speak into it, that's up to you. It's one of the few things I've been close to writing an editorial about. But let me just read this news feed. New York Bishop calls out Cuomo over the new health law. I'm not going to use the A word in case there are kids here that people say, I don't want to have to explain that to my children today. But Cuomo signed the Reproductive Health Act on Tuesday, which called a historic victory for New Yorkers and for our progressive values. Days earlier, though, the governor touted his Catholic faith during his ninth state of the state address. In an open letter to Cuomo, this is something I've wondered about a lot. If I was a Catholic priest, and this gentleman was in my church, how should I respond? That's, it's not about, this is not about the political issue here now. And, and is there a moral issue at stake? Absolutely, which we should believe strongly. How to combat that in our culture? There are ways that I think are profitable in doing that, and there are ways that are unprofitable in doing that. But that's not what I'm talking about. Here's what I'm talking about when we're not dealing with reality. In an open letter to the governor, Albany Bishop Reverend Edward B. Scharfenberger said it was, quote, very difficult to understand, close quote, how the governor can cite his faith yet advocate for such a profoundly destructive legislation. Now, you can go look at what it means. We're, we're sinking further into barbarism is what's happening. But here's my point. He said, I, I, I claim this faith, and I'm very unhappy. This isn't an exact quote, because I can't remember his exact word, but I'm unhappy with the distance between where I am and where my church is. Here's the question, who moved? When I was in, um, I believe it was either Denver or Tucson, a newscaster, You'll, you might remember because I went off about it. I almost never go off about anything, so when I did, I know my wife noticed. 
there was a newscaster. Keep your fast in your seatbelts, okay? Just keep with me here for a minute. There was a newscaster, and he's, I think he may have been the weatherman. I'm not sure. But it was back when Anita Bryant was in the news for something, and she had simply spoken the simple truth of the gospel. The simple truth of the gospel. Those who do not believe in Jesus are lost. Doesn't matter what their creed or background. By the way, if that's news to you, it's because you're not aware of 2,000 years of Christian history. It's as simple as that. This newscaster went off like she was a moron and an idiot and raving about it. And, of course, every, oh, yeah, blah, 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 blah. And from my chair, all he was demonstrating is his profound ignorance. You can disagree, and you can roll your eyes. But it was like the stupidest thing he had ever heard. What planet were you raised on? How come you're not aware that this has been the posture of the church for 2,000 years? That's why it's called Christianity. If it's Buddhism, it's a whole nother game. What do you expect them to do? Worship Jesus? No. So it reflects ignorance. So when I look at this article, and get this, here's the, here's the fun part, radical. This guy's going to catch more complaint and attack Uh, There were several things in the paper this week I cannot, or in the last two weeks, and I can't spend time with them because we'll return to it later. But he added this, the governor's excommunication from the Catholic Church may occur if he continues to distance himself. And we think, no, that's been the posture of Christianity for... That's why there's a verse that says something about heretics, sinners, and subversives. You know, not all scripture can be fun and light and joy and flowers. There's got to be the side with teeth. So my point on this whole thing was simply helping us to see that sometimes we miss what is crystal clear and obvious. The church hasn't moved. Governor Cuomo has moved. He's slid away from what has been held for 2,000 years. And he wants them to come his way. But there are, are there, in fact, absolutes? So this kind of agitated me a little bit. And it's one of the rare times in these last few weeks that I've had this feeling because I basically don't have high expectations of what comes out of the political arena. And I don't like to talk about it because the last thing we need to do is as Christians say, well, we're on this side or that side or whatever, because we usually get it wrong somewhere along the line. In fact, guaranteed you will. But here's what I did feel, and maybe some of you may relate to this. Anybody remember in the Old Testament when we went through um, the Daily Bible? I hope you got at least through Genesis, right? And uh, in, the, in the Daily Bible, in Genesis, Abraham is called, and remember he has a nephew, Lot. And they look out on the fields, and they don't have enough room for all their business, all their cattle. You know, they're manufacturing cars, and there's only so much room for the plant. And Where do you want to go? If you, that, that was a, yeah. Anyway, so... Abraham is the godlier person. We know that. He says, just pick which way do you want to go. I'll go the other way. Lot says, that field over there looks really good. I'm taking that one. See you later. And it's down by Sodom and Gomorrah and all these other corrupt cities, right? And so he makes that choice because of economic advantage. 
Abraham goes the other way. And let me just read something. You've, if you read the story, you may recall that Lot is not like the most squeaky clean Bible hero. Are you right? You get that? He wasn't the squeakiest, cleanest guy that you read about in the Bible. Nevertheless, 1 Peter says this. This is not on the screen. Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day with their lawless deeds. There was some moral compass in this guy, even with his weaknesses. He didn't leave town because the money was good. That's as best as we can know. That was his motivation. And he made some other bad decisions, too, about protecting his own family. You might recall that. Terrible story. Nevertheless, there was a moral compass and an awareness of God. And living in that decay was a grief to his soul. Does anybody ever feel that? You're not alone. Now, we can become self-righteous, which I would highly recommend you don't. Or we can be grieved and motivate to pray and, Lord, give us the wisdom we need to walk in this sick world. So I wanted to use that story just to set the tone that it's a fight for what is true sometimes. Dealing with reality. I'm not about the politics. I'm not on an agenda to go drive somebody out of office. God told me to do that. That'd be different. But that's not it. It's what is true and understand this. There are certain things that we need to lock into and stand for because they are, in fact, the truth. And here's an interesting little statement from somebody, the ultimate dystopian, George Orwell. You know, before there was Hunger Games and... uh, What's a divergent and all of these other ones? There was 1984, which we passed, thank God, and it didn't happen, but, you know, or Animal Farm, Animal Farm, yeah, and all of that. In a time of deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. There's another harder statement, but I'm saving it for another time. The world does need prophecy, the world does need somebody to speak up at times. And uh, through our history, people have done that. Christians have stood. I have admired many times religious figures who have said this is right and that is wrong to some of the most powerful people on the planet. And they don't care whether they like it or not. It's still the right thing to do. The world needs prophecy. But let me just be candid. The church is our first issue. The reason we lose our hearing so often out in the world is because how we come across is not winsome at all. Now, by the way, even if you're the most winsome person on the planet, you still might lose. You might, you might as well face that because telling the truth to a deceived culture is revolutionary and you'll be considered weird and a wingnut and everything else. A hater. I think that's the right word today. Hater. You're a hater. Bigot, hater, blah, 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 etc. Just for speaking truth. So let's look at a scripture that is very telling from my chair. And this is in 1 Corinthians, the apostle is speaking. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? Oops. Now, by the way, context. Anybody remember the context? 
Oh, they were taking each other to court. But the, this particular chapter is about a man who's sleeping with his father's wife. Immorality. By the way, one of the strongest moral values for the Christian church has always been about morality. Mrs. Pence got criticized because she's teaching in a Christian school. And in teaching in a Christian school, they have the Christian view, the biblical view of marriage, of all the nerve. They have the, they have the right to hold to that, but she was de- designated as a hater because she's teaching in a Christian school. Do you, do you, are you following what I'm trying to say here? I'm not sure. We're not saying the other people hate them, whatever. We're saying everyone holding the right to their principles. We're supposed to be in a free society that you can do that. But certain freedoms are getting eroded and coming under attack. So here's what he says. In that context, people had misunderstood what Paul had said. It's a long passage. I don't want to take the time for it. I left it out on purpose because I knew today I was going to be tightened in terms of time. Uh, Pastor Tim looked at my insert and said, that looks like a sermon that's twice as long as usual. And it's like, (laughs) watch how fast I get through this. Ready? Okay. But he was saying, I told you not to associate with certain people. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about inside the church. People outside don't have the moral value that you do. How else are you going to win them unless you rub shoulders with them? Jesus did that and got in trouble all the time. Some of you still think like the people in the first century. You know, oh, don't touch me. You got cooties. It's not how it works. But sometimes inside the church you can get cooties. Because you're hanging out with somebody and your, your conscience gets violated and then you let it slide and next thing you know they, they encourage you into something that later you find out, I shouldn't have done that. It is no concern of mine to judge outsiders, Paul says. Is it not for you? Let's look at the next version of it. Are you not to judge those inside? Look at the second half. It is for you to judge those who are inside, is it not? Can I just say that what Alyssa was talking about, I, I've noticed this, uh, you really need to fix that part of your life, or that attitude or whatever it is. That's normal. That's normal for Christians. Well, we don't do that here. That's because we're not. Thank you. This is not a fill-in test, but that was good. We're not. I'm just telling you the way I see it. If we're not encouraging and admonishing one another to do better, I've had to have people get in my face. I think you can do better than that. I hate to say it. I think you're right. Go away. No, I... Do you get offended easy? How dare them talk to me? Well, of all the nerve. Let me tell you, I, I shepherd people, I pastor people. It didn't matter whether I had 1,000 or I got 150 here. It doesn't matter. If somebody comes and gets in my face and says, I think this is an issue for you, my reaction is going to be, who do you think you are talking to me? I'm the pastor of this church. That's not going to be my answer. Everybody, that was a joke. You all get that? Because, I don't know, you should fire me if I'm like that. But anyway, I don't know if if you would, but you should. No, my reaction is, whoa, 
Um, several possibilities. One, you may, you, may, you may have a little bit of something in there that's true. I don't think that's generally true, but you know what? I'm going to take that to prayer and decide, thanks for having the guts to come and ask me or challenge me. Okay? Or I will say, because sometimes this is true, um, I wish you knew me a little better because that thought is completely out in space and I just can't imagine that being true. But I'll take that to prayer too, but I don't think that's so. Or in some cases, you're dead right. You're dead right. Ouch. I have to pray into that. I have to get better. Right? Well, why doesn't every Christian react that way? Because I'm paid to be good. I have to be good, right? No, there you go. It's for us to judge. In fact, some of you may remember this um, old verse. We don't hear this very often. Let's put the next one up if we could. It's time for judgment to begin with the household of God. You worried about all those dirty, rotten people out there? Here's what it says. If it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? It's all going to get sorted out, brothers and sisters. But trust me, we're going to get sorted out too. God is just and he will do it. So here's my mini sermon on judgment or judging. You'll remember Jesus said something about taking the log out of your eye, right? Evaluate. Here's what it means. Three things. To evaluate, to decide to divide out, to separate. Remember in the scripture, Jesus said one day, the angels will gather up all the souls of men. He'll separate the sheep from the goats. That's judging. That's a goat. That's a sheep. That's not mean. You're a goat. You're a sheep. I didn't pick on anybody. Don't, Don't start in. But you're... That's just discerning, deciding, separating out, selecting. That's the first use of the word crino, to judge. That's an appropriate thing. The second word is, second use of the word is to be a fault finder, a critic. That's what Jesus was pushing back on when he said, don't judge, lest you also be judged. He's not saying don't discern out and separate out. He's saying don't judge, as in I'm better than you, and you're wrong, and oh, I'd never do anything like that. And boy, are you a loser, and anybody that votes that way is a jerk, and anybody thinks, you you get it. That's what he's condemning. And the third use is to condemn, to esteem, either say it's right or wrong, to distinguish as in the sense of administering justice. This is right, and that's wrong. You're going to stop that. Because it's wrong. So all of that to bring us to our text. Haven't you read the text yet? So if you have a Bible in the pew there, it's 1194. And I'm not putting it on the screen, just the references on the screen. But I'd like you to look with me at this as I read through this text. Ready? Chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. This is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God may be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable, yes, for men. 
But shun foolish controversies, genealogies, and strife, and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Are you picking up on the fact that there's some judgment going on here? Shun this. This is worthless. This is unprofitable. This is, in fact, the word worthless is harmful. Can mean harmful. These are not good. Other things are good and profitable. Do those. I want you to speak confidently about that. And here's the end. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. What? How dare Paul talk like that? Four major issues come up. You got your little um, hand out there somewhere? Where's it? Let's see. You want to fill in your little blanks? I told you, it's going to go like lightning. Ready? Here's four issues that are pushed forward by this text in, Tim, in Titus. I'm not going to be able to finish Titus right away. We're going to have to come back to some of this. One, assessing absolutes. Yes, there are absolutes, even in our culture. Second, conflict resolution. I've been here almost, do you realize this summer it'll be six years? No, everyone's going, no wonder we're worn out. <laughs> My wife has said to me, Gesundheit, multiple times, do you know, I think Harmony needs a whole series on conflict resolution. Learning how to talk to each other and getting it settled. Next word. Spiritual authority. I want you to speak confidently. In fact, another way to translate some of that passage is like, don't tolerate, insist, insist on this. Who does he think he is? Tell this one. Fourth one. Church discipline. Reject, avoid, spurn. Don't listen to a factious man. Look at the verse. Let me re- re- recap it. I'm going to be done in five minutes. If someone disputes... Yeah, it's easy for me to say. Someone's arguing with what you teach. I'm, I'm not talking about teaching political tactics or what I think angels do in their spare time or something like that, Okay. We're talking about the gospel. Basic truth, clear things revealed in the scripture. If someone disputes what you teach, then after a first and second warning, have no more to do with them. Why? I remember one time up in, uh, in Binghamton, I was sitting with some of my staff. We were confronting somebody who was very bitter, very agitated, very troublesome, I said, here's your problem. I'm asking to listen to me. This is what's wrong. If you would settle this issue. Nope, you're wrong. Both yelling at me. No, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. My administrative pastor said, we're done here. Goodbye. That was the end of it. Goodbye. Talking to a wall. Don't listen anymore. Enough. Yes, there's a time for that. I remember one time. I had to rebuke somebody about something, and it came back about three hours later. The phone rang. I picked it up, and out came this blanket. You know, those in, in the cartoons, there are little asterisks and stars, and all those, those pretty little words, you know, blah, 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 turning the air blue. Ah, who the blankety blah, blah. And this loving pastor went, click. 
<clears throat> Ten minutes later, I got a phone call and an apology. Yeah, it worked that time. You know what? The church in America and around the world gets in trouble two ways. They over-discipline for stupid things or they under-discipline and let the brats run wild. Either way is a mistake. Oh, and by the way, let me read in the King James Version the verse we just read so you understand where I got my title. A man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that as such he is subverted and sinning, being condemned of himself. That's where I got my title. Okay, so I didn't make it up. A heretic. Wouldn't you like to know what all those words mean? I'm not telling you because we're out of time. But we are going to come back and look. I told you I was going to clean this sucker, right? Here we go. Let me go down and just say this. My last point, though, is this. Careful, informed admonition is the right thing. I've had this verse in my mind so many times when I've had to exhort brothers. I've done it since I've been on the job here. I've done it at other places. Sometimes I despair. I have a deep sense of grief about something. I admonish once. I admonish twice. I can talk till I'm blue in the face. And they're stiff-necked and will not bend. And they're heading for destruction. That is a grief to any good shepherd. Are there bad shepherds out there? Sure. I think some of you feel like you've had a few. And maybe that's why I don't have to listen to pastors. It's up, you know, I'll decide whether I want to listen. It's up to you. But... If a person is speaking from God and from his word, you would do well to open the ear. Now, let me read the way we're supposed to handle these things. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, if any man is caught in a trespass, you who are spirit, if he's a heretic or subversive or sinning or whatever, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. You know what that means? The spiritual people are the ones who are responding to the Holy Spirit. Our sister was talking about that today. That's normal Christianity, is an interplay with the Holy Spirit. He's given you this amazing gift, the indwelling Christ, your spirit, the Holy Spirit, you hear? And he's got the word to keep you safe and the spirit to prompt you and remind you and convict you. And if I'm walking in that, when I go to assess somebody's situation, I remember what Jesus said. Don't judge lest you be judged. What does he mean? Be critical. Here's what he means. For in the way you judge, you're going to get it dealt back to you, baby. That's the point. Would you want to be assessed and taken to task the way you're taking this guy to task? Sometimes I have to say, yes. If you love me, yes. Take me to task. Or in some cases, eh, I think I'm being a bit of a Pharisee. Maybe not. Do you think we have some things to learn here? What do you think? Oh, come on. I don't need a word from God to tell a drunken friend not to get behind the wheel. We should be able to exhort each other and minister to each other. Here's my last point. I want to put a picture up here.
Is it there? There's two? It's the one that looks like a monument? That's the one. Yeah, I have a better picture of this in my office that I took. I had to snatch this one. That is Martyr's Monument. Oxford. Three Protestant martyrs. One I'm kind of partial to. His name was Hugh Latimer because he was 68 years old. And his sin was... He didn't believe that transubstantiation was real. Half of you are going, what are you talking about? It's the belief that the body and blood of Christ literally become, the elements literally transform. He said, I don't think that's true. I think he's scientifically right. I also think he's biblically right. He was burned at the stake because of his views by the church. And don't think it's all Catholics against Protestants. It went both directions. And a hundred years after that, that was the 1500s. In the 1600s, there was a 30-year war that was fought over religious background, but ultimately politics, and Christians were putting each other to death left and right. So we can be really stupid and not look like Jesus at all. Can you imagine Jesus and his apostles saying, burn that guy to a state, especially if you read the New Testament. And yet... At the time, those believers were saying, yes, we do believe that the apostles would take this stand. I think we need a lot of help. What do you think? A lot of grace and a lot of help. And a great line came out of that season by Rupertus Meldenius, your favorite character. I know you read his stuff all the time. And it's a great statement. You'll recognize it. In Essentials Unity, what does the Bible absolutely teach non-negotiable? Unity. In non-essentials, am I allowed to get a tattoo? Liberty. In all things. That's agape love. Charity. Grace toward one another, right? That'll keep a lot of damage out of the arena. Let's pray together. In the name of Jesus, God, we thank you that you have not left us in the dark. You have given us a sure word of prophecy. But give us the wisdom to live this out in ways that glorify you. And Lord, for every true disciple, would you just tweak our inner spirit so that it says, yes, I want to learn I want to be instructed. I want to do better. I want to look more like my master, Jesus. Whichever direction the instruction comes from, I'm game. Pray for help. Help us as an assembly to build each other up in our most holy faith, we pray. In the great name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen, amen. God bless and have a great day. There is a team meeting post-haste.